So, you know, here we are. It's been weeks. It's been months. No, it's been like one month. month. It's been a a month. I mean, the rumors have been circulating among the <laughs> yes, ministers. We have to go we'll on get record. To it. We'll We're going to go it. on record about a couple of things. We will. The rumors will be debunked. Um, but we're here. Um, we do not have a working mic. We're together. Mm-hmm. We're just looking at my computer and hoping that Steve Jobs is going to carry us through on this return of the king. Yeah, I mean, it was a mid-season. It was a mid-season hiatus. Unexpected, unannounced. <laughs> um, but listen, you know, Blair and I are not full-time content creators. I don't want that to be lost in any of our listeners. My whole here. life is content. I mean, that is true, but like we have jobs. We, yeah, we're sure. busy. We have jobs. You've been like house hunting. You've been Rebecca, you don't even know. I, I currently I am homeless. I am jobless. You have been homeless since <laughs> before the hiatus. This I've has been, been No, we we recorded in the basement. We recorded in Jane's house. Jane. Jane is pour one out for Jane. She's an unofficial sponsor. She's uh, yeah no. We're more we're officially officially sponsored sponsored by Jane. Jane Jane is the girl whose apartment I was subletting and identity you also subletted. Hello, I'm not gonna be able to pull that when I show up at Harvard Business School in the fall. Of course, she has pictures all over her apartment. I keep I didn't take any of them out. I just put my own pictures, like a picture of me as a baby next to a picture of her as a baby, picture of her at college graduation next to a picture of me at college graduation. That's so dark. Um, yeah, so I'm just getting into the Jane of it all. This getting into the Jane of it all, is that going to be a memoir? Um, certainly. When should we expect it on shelves? As as fast as, well, we're going to have to cut a lot of this, but Michelle Zahner taught me that you shouldn't write a memoir oh. when you're 31. Oh, no, you should not. Wow. Shout out to Japanese Breakfast. <laughs> Great set at Newport. Um... Yeah, so here we are. We're should back. Should we just start over? That no, was all really no. Weird. I absolutely don't think we should start over. I think this is what everyone tunes in for. I think this is an honest, open take. So we've been away. We didn't tell you guys. We've been busy. We've We're been, sorry. We've been behind the scenes desperately trying to record. This is not for want of trying. Totally. Like, we tried. And every we, single time, yeah. it was Rebecca who canceled. That's factually untrue. And if we need to drop receipts on socials, I'm prepared to I'm hijack. Prepared, I'm prepared to, too. I'm prepared yeah. to, as well. Great. Okay. I perfect. would love to see, see how you in the comments. Excuses. See you in the comments. Yeah, like, see, actually, I'd like people to chime in first, and then we'll drop the receipts. Yeah. Like, who do you think actually was more to blame here? It's You're, Blair. Everybody <laughs> knows on the backbone of this podcast. It's not even fair. No, that's not. Uh, but I, w- I have some receipts to drop in that case. But whatever. Way All right. In. Well, Way tune in. in to IG. Um, I've really let the website go because, again, busy things to busy, do. Busy people gals. to see weddings. Again, people to pay. They're the new taxmen, brides coming soon to you. On the circuit. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. But we're back. There's been a lot of a really upsetting live history since we've last oh been God, together. Just so oh, well, that much. was Well, okay. And I just, not to say that the overturn of Roe v. Wade was not a devastating day in American history and in our personal lives. But, but that is the day we were supposed to record and Rebecca, this is what originally kicked off all the That's canceling, so was that Rebecca was like, I'm too upset, I can't do this right now. Yeah, I was pretty upset. And I was like, okay, that's fair. But I'm upset too, but I'm a professional. Listen, <laughs> if we had recorded, it would have been iconic, but I also think it would have like definitely lost all my sure, business certainly. contracts. Certainly, like, certainly. It was not a good day. It wasn't a good week. It's not been a good month. It's not good. I still, I just realized we started recording and I still don't even know if I can get my research on my phone. Yeah, and I'm not even 100p on the Wi-Fi password. We thought it was Meow Meow Beans. So. <laughs> With the Z, it isn't. If so. you live in my building, that's not my Wi-Fi <laughs> you password. If you in building, that won't get you in either. That won't get you in. Okay, so let's get into it though, Rebecca. I mean, we are here to discuss... Just to give you guys a quick preview, a little Rebecca's going to bring down the energy by talking about the it's, history of Roe v. Wade, but maybe it's going to have no, highlights. I think I'm, it's gonna be I'm only going to talk about the woman behind okay. Roe v. Wade. Okay, and then I'm going to just pop in with some info about Annie Oakley. And that's the right <laughs> juxtaposition. And that's the right juxtaposition. And like, correct me if I'm wrong, not to like jump the gun. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. Oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We're Uh-oh. at it again. We're Uh-oh. at it again. We're back. <laughs> um, didn't she have a little a bobo? Oh, no, I just, no, she didn't have an abortion, but I did text Rebecca. I think that Annie Oakley would have gotten an abortion. 
Oh, okay. no, I wow. said I'm prepared to go on record okay. saying receipts. That. This is going to just be an Instagram post of receipts because I'm quite sure you told me, like, oh, perfect, I'm doing any Oakley. No, like, I she said had an perfect. I'm willing to go on record with the listeners that I bet she had an abortion. Oh, okay. If I, if I misread the bet, that's fine. That's on me. Monday would work. And I said, yeah, and will Def point out she 100 feet had an abortion? <laughs> no, I think I was really drunk when I Blair, said that. Blair, you just called yourself okay, out. I like, receipts been, on yourself. I might have, I was def, look at the way all that is spelled. Blair, Something was up with me. Blair, I'm glad that you just, like, live read yourself to filth. <laughs> I thought that I was, and I think that there was some, like, sarcasm. Blair, Blair you can't just, like, back up right now. There was like, sarcasm implied in the text. Unbelievable. We are... Five minutes into this recording. Okay, well, get it together. We're just going to start here. Welcome to Manifest No, no we're not starting here. It's been here. The credits have already opened. The people are here. We're ready. And yeah, I'm going to bring down the room. Okay. I'm going to bring down the energy. We've okay, got some take wine. Take it away. Take it but away. You know what? Like, it's mostly going to be like a story of a woman. And aren't okay. we all just a woman? Wow. I already defined am by up. our circumstances. Okay. Like, wow. And I have some like early facts. Typically, historically, back in the day, the United States' stance on abortion was that it was legal before what they referred to sort of vaguely as quickening. I don't know if you've ever heard of the old mm-hmm. quickening. I've heard of quickening, but only from you. You've talked to me about quickening before, the quickening of the womb. Okay, yep. I do <laughs> like a euphemism or just like a vague sort of like ethereal term mm-hmm. for the birth process. Sure, Coitus sure. interruptus is a favorite of mine. <laughs> Should a be of a Harry Potter spell is my favorite. Um, so yeah, when the quickening, which was like the first movements of a fetus... <laughs> Which is around uh, the fourth month of the pregnancy. Oh my gosh, it's that late? Yeah, fourth month of pregnancy is typically when the quickening occurs, and that was after that, it was a no-go. It's like, that's considered a baby. So, some of the early regulations dealt with, like, the sale of drugs that could induce abortions, and this was, like, in the 1830s. Because, you know, people have been using drugs to put off children since the Jesus Christ days. Yes, since, since tale as old as time. You need to go as far back as the Old Testament to find an old recipe for abortion. Like, there's a priest that's literally like, oh, your wife cheated on you and got pregnant by somebody else. Here's how to get rid of it. Wow. Yeah, so never let them get you down, those evangelicals. There's always something you can come back yeah, with. Yeah, when I was in Kenya, they ha- they showed us the plant that the native women would yeah. use to cause miscarriages. Uh, Lisa, shout out to Lisa. Um, shout out to Lisa, and congratulations on your engagement. Yes, oh Speaking my gosh, oh my gosh. Women. How can we get started without acknowledging Lisa's engagement? We shout out to Lisa. Not we're good thrilled. friends. We are not good friends, but we remembered we're only eight minutes in. Yeah, that's true. That's better than most. We're, that's way we're better here, than we're most. excited, we can't wait to celebrate. It's going to be wild, wild times. But yes, Lisa told me in uh, Myrtle Beach for. Spencer's wedding. Spencer, who may or may not be a manifester, but Jen is. And Jen is, Jen is part Jen Spencer. Yep, she'll pass it along. <laughs> um, we were there for Spencer's wedding, and Lisa, we were on like a mini golf course and was pointing out like this, some natural sort of like palmetto bay leaf that she was like, yeah, this is not only a nice seasoning for soup, but if you eat enough of it, it like puts off a baby. Just like a natural aboba leaf. I love that. Okay, well, shout out to Lisa. Shout out to and Lisa. And Julia Child. She's a powerful witch. And anyone that's ever made dinner. And anyone that's ever made dinner. That was not Blair and myself tonight. The yeah, good folks certainly. at Pizzeria no. Marzano mm-hmm. had our back. We were not sponsored by them, but if we could we be could so be. lucky. If we could be so lucky. So anyways, yeah. First early regulations were around medications, um, not the bay leaf as far as I'm concerned. The one thing I told you was not to bump the table, and you have bumped the table okay, like I'm nine sorry. times. Okay, I'm sorry. I was getting more pizza now that you brought it up. You're simply the worst podcaster. This is live podcasting, people. We are, Blair's okay, actively just it. getting pizza. We're not cutting any of this out. Okay, go on. Okay, so... In 1873, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is that if anybody out there is actually listening to this podcast because of the APUS exam, which, you know, I was looking at the APUS Reddit the other day, and I was like, you know, some of these youths would probably benefit from a little Manifest Destiny. We, we pepper in some facts there with our laughs. I would yeah. pull it out. So I'm talking about the Comstock Law. Do you remember anything about that? No. Yeah, I didn't really either, other than it's Comstock, and I thought that was, like, weirdly kind of a little little naughty. Um, and that made it illegal to distribute contraceptives and enforcing a douche... In, that's a tough one. Abortion-inducing. Abortion-inducing drugs through the U.S. mail. Couldn't do that anymore. You couldn't just send your friend the old Plan B or whatever it was in 1873. The, the plant old, B. The old... Wow, well done. We are mm-hmm. back, baby. <laughs> Um, but by the 1880s, abortion was, like, outlawed. 
by that point, like throughout the country. So there's a real shift, and everyone's like, we're over it. We're I next. wonder if it was the Second Great Awakening. Honestly, the timeline tracks. <laughs> I, okay, didn't, I didn't try to investigate the third because we got to really get to Norma McCorvey, who's the okay, real purpose ahead. here. But uh, 1860s, that's when we really have the women's rights movements. You get your Gloria Steinems. You get, you know, your ladies that are out here and they're mad. Sure. They're ready for their rights. Uh, we're still mad. We're still here. Those ladies are our grandmas and they're not pleased. Um, and some of the, you know, these demonstrations really kind of paved the way for Roe versus Wade. Um 1965, the Supreme Court struck down a law banning distribution of birth control to married couples, a ruling that the law violated their implied right to privacy. So that was something that was upholding the right to family planning. Oh, to birth control access. Yes, exactly. And birth control back then was what? Just like, you know, diaphragms? I'm pretty sure they had the pill, didn't we? Uh, wasn't that part I of I thought the pill was 1957. Yeah, and we're in the 60s now. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. That's on me. I thought you said the I thought you were talking about the 1880s still. Yeah, no, we're in 65. Okay. And then in 72, the Supreme Court also strikes down a law that was trying to prohibit contraceptives to unmarried adults. So just like your average people that are trying to bone and not get a baby. So that's fine. Um, meanwhile, in 1970, Hawaii was the first U.S. state to legalize abortion. Shout out to Hawaii. Shout out to our Hawaiian <laughs> listeners. If you're out there, stay woke. But it only applied to state residents. You couldn't, like, seek an abortion in Hawaii. You couldn't, like, go for a vacation and gotcha. an abortion. A little vacation, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. A vacation. Later that year, do you know what the second state to legalize abortion was? Connecticut? No. Close. Massachusetts? No. Come on, Flair. Is it physically close? Oh, is it New York yeah, City? New York, baby! <laughs> yes! Oh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn made. And no residency requirement. First place, you want to come to New York and you want to tour the Big Apple and you need to get yourself taken care of, New York welcomes you. Love that. Love that wow. for New York. That surprises me because there's so much more, like, upstate area that is, like, very rural and, like, very conservative. Oh, yeah. So, like... But they just don't have the numbers. Yeah, that's true. The big cities got them every time. Wow. And aren't we grateful for it? 1973, it was also made legal to have an abortion in Alaska and Washington. So, you know, these mm -hmm. progressive West Outer Coast edge. states, they're doing their thing. Coastal elites. Coastal elites. So now our story shifts. Now we're going to switch over to Norma McCorvey. And Norma McCorvey, to me, is an American tale in the most devastating sense of the word. Like, someone just really caught up in like bad systemic family issues that nobody intervened in and like homophobia and racism and uh, the South just being kind of a toxic bad place, which tracks. So Norma Nelson, who later became Norma McCorvey, was born in Simisport, Louisiana on September 22nd, 1947. What do we got? We've got a Libra on our hands. Ooh, sensitive, right? You are deep-throating pizza. Really they're just so fisting a piece of pizza. I feel like there's going to be an undertrack that you're going to get really mad at me for. Of oh, me definitely. Just like having a love but you know what? pizza. But I think that's what, we, that's what packs the seats. I told Blair a couple things. I said, hey, maybe don't press on the table every two seconds, which you will hear maybe in this track. I'm not going to edit any of this out because I won't be able to because we're recording live on one track and we don't have a sound studio. And it's hot in here because I had to turn off all the fans. It is hot in here. That is important to bring up. So that's we're trying to like cruise through this episode, even though there's a lot to unpack about abortion. But like, okay, Libra, go for it. Tell us everything. Oh my God, you are honestly despicable. <laughs> like, I'm gonna. I'm having flashbacks to you like choking on candy corn in middle school. Going to, I almost. I just saw my life flash from my eyes. I was I, straight up choking. I have given that. you the Heimlich before and saved your life. Oh my God, that's never true. forget. Wow. I saved Blair's life. She choked on Jelly Rancher. So proud of herself in somebody's basement, and I fully gave Blair the Heimlich. <laughs> and we wouldn't be here manifesting with you right now if I didn't know the Heimlich maneuver and was a doctor in. <laughs> My junior year of high school. Imagine I was a class being position. a junior in high school and just seeing someone... I was the someone, doogie hauser of our grade. See some, seeing someone house a Jolly Rancher and be like, they need my help. But <laughs> so you couldn't breathe. You I were know, like I mean, blue. I, I you were to Fuck die. you. Don't turn this okay, around and whatever. say that I didn't actually Getting save Getting into Libras, life. air sign, very, um, very intellectual, like rules with their mind first. Um, but they're very charming. They're very social. I would also yes. say that they're the scales, so they really yes. represent justice Balance. and a sense of fairness. No, but especially if you're saying that this woman brought her case to the Supreme Court. Well, she like, didn't really. She did it for the money. 
Okay. Well, they also, that's a great well, transition. Sort of. Libras also really love the finer things. Like, mm. I would say second only to tourists. Like, they, they're, like, overspenders almost. Like, live yep. outside their means. Like, really love beautiful things. Yep. Have a very inherent sense of style. And, yeah, they're, they're a party sign. They're fun. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel like this isn't what you were expecting. No, no. It is what I was expecting. It okay. absolutely was because it tracks But I think there's with... a very grounded energy to them as well. Like, the fact that they're the skills, they represent balance and yep. justice and, like, a really like even keeled perspective but it's like people really underestimate libras and air signs in general because yep. they come off as like you know like airy boppy like i'm an air sign if you didn't know like, yeah 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 but it like really belies a much deeper emotional and intellectual intelligence steven's sibling closest in age and while we're on the subject we can debunk a quick myth um, <laughs> oh yeah but steven's closest in age sibling is a libra and it's just like absolutely what you described is mm-hmm. autumn like an autumn is like quintessential like i'm a libra bitch like loves it it's everything but steven and i are still together we live with my grandmother because she's 92 <laughs> and she's fun and loves history and frequently has facts for me that i've never known before yes you'd live with her too if you we heard her. that some fans were wondering if rebecca and steven might have broken up since he hasn't been he hasn't been mentioned, mentioned lately you know when you're comfortable in your relationship Rebecca's. you don't feel the need to bring it up okay i would agree with that yeah but also i've never felt more alive than when i found out that people were speculating about my love life because of this podcast <laughs> like are we famous now amongst our 11 listeners Maybe. i think we yeah i mean and uh, if you're one of those 11 listeners speaking directly to whomever <laughs> it is in germany that continues to listen to this podcast <laughs> thank you please come on the pod like we yes. want to showcase you we want you to have yes. your moment too because this podcast is about all of us together finding space across the void of the internet yeah, in America. In and Germany. And Germany. <laughs> Which is an alliance that is tenuous at best. So tenuous thank you for best. like forging new bonds between I know. our we're gonna need you in the next world war. I mean it's it's all around us. It's gonna be the climate wars. Okay, baby. Rebecca. Stop. All right, stay on track. So we have a Libra, Norma, that all really seems on brand. Um she was born, as I said, in Louisiana. They later moved to Houston, so we're going from, you know, the frying pan to the fire, if you will. Her father, Olin Nelson, is generally a bad man. Um, he's a TV repairman. I feel like a lot of repairmen are serial killers. Like, there's like a... The like true BTK. repairman repairs men. Wow. <laughs> we haven't forgotten about our uh, first time I saw my daddy cry podcast. And we are still thinking about it. Join our Patreon. We yeah. will make it happen for you. So anyways, uh, parents divorced when she's 13. They are mostly raised by their mother, Mary, who was two things, and that was Pentecostal and an alcoholic. Um, they do often Killer go hand combo. in hand. Yeah, it is a thing. Her father was a Jehovah's Witness, so those things were at odds. Um, Norma really just like didn't lead a pious life from the jump. The first time she had a run-in with the law, she was 10. Um, she reg- uh, robbed a cash register at a gas station and then ran away to Oklahoma City with a friend, which, you know, we've all been there, middle school, <laughs> robbing a gas station. They then tricked a hotel worker into letting them rent a room and spend two days there. And then a maid walks in on them kissing. And this is, you know, 10 years old. So this is the 1950s. So you really can't be like in a hotel kissing a girl at 10. What? Yeah. 10 years old? Yes. So I'm telling you, it's a crazy story. Her, okay. Like first she robs a gas station, <laughs> goes on the lam with her friend to Oklahoma City. They trick this hotel worker into letting them have a room. They spend two days in there. Was she still in school? She ran away. She was, was this 10. during summer break? No, I don't know what <laughs> month it was, but she, regardless, it doesn't matter if it was a summer or the school. She it matters ran, to me. She ran away from home with her friends. They spend two days holed up in this motel, and then a maid walks in on them kissing, and this is like the late 1950s. What? And it's like, this wow. This is bananas. I'm telling you, Blair, this, this is would a- be crazy for the 50s if they were normal age, not no. literally 10. Like, it's nuts. Was, did she even hit puberty? I don't know. Does it say? <laughs> No, but she is arrested and taken to court and they declare her a ward of the state and then they send her to a Catholic boarding school, which is, you know, really the wrong choice. Catholic boarding school is not going to fix that situation. Um, And that was the state school for girls in Gainesville. And she was there from 11 to 15. So this literally happened when she was 10. This incident with like (laughs) running, robbing... Robbing a gas station. Oh my god! What and going icon? out on the limb with her. T- I, I don't even think you can say ten-year-old lover and not get like kicked but, off of anchor sponsorships. But, but like, but how did they get a car? 
Again, I don't have to. Oh, I did get to the bus. Like, I did get to the bus. I tried to run away when I was like nine, and there was. I made it to the end of our street. There was nowhere for I me mean, to go. I mean, who didn't? But like these girls committed and then got a motel. <laughs> and more, I want to like just follow up on the fact that a hotel worker saw two 10 year olds and was like, yeah, this is above board. Like, I can rent this. They've got good, clean American money. Why not? That is insane. This story only gets crazier. Like I didn't. When you said like I'm gonna bring the mood down with Roe versus Wade, like you know I was gonna bring it to every ball. Like I've got the wild story here. It's nuts. So she goes to this girls' school <laughs> in Gainesville from 11 to 15. From 11 to 15, and later refers to this as the happiest time of her life. Like, girls' school, Texas, 11 to 15, loved it. I went from the motel with one girl to a school with infinite girls that I lived. And the two girls that went to girls' school from a long time, 13 to 18. That's a long time. A long time. That tracks. So after she leaves the Catholic school, uh, she apparently lived with her mother's cousin. This is where things really do take a dark turn. Oh, no. The mother's cousin apparently sexually assaults her uh, repeatedly for like a three-week period. And when Norma told her mother, the cousin said that Norma was lying. And Norma was basically gaslit, as, you know, many abusers do, into believing, her family believing that she'd made it up. Um, so then she's working at a restaurant, and she meets this guy, Woody McCorvey, and she's 16 at the time, and they get married. And he is born in 1940, so he is seven years older than her. Is he so. still alive? I don't He'd know. only be 80. Like, I feel like some people in this story might still be alive. Oh, uh, Norma's not, but um, Woody might be. I don't know. I didn't follow up on him because he fucking sucks. So she <laughs> marries him. She's 16. Again, so a whole child. Wait, how did she get married? <laughs> it's like the rules of age don't apply to She Norma? leaves the girls' school at 15, best years of her life, gets a job waitressing, has this guy who's seven years older than her creep on her. But how, like, you cannot get married in any state now. Not at now. At the age of 16. No, but did, were people, is the only thing In 1963... Blair, they were, I have, like, for other podcasts, done research into <laughs> marriage dates. I have found, like, legal marriage documents of people getting young, married as young as, like, 15. Like, Ew. absolutely. Absolutely okay. So she leaves him eventually, like, like soon, not long after, um, because he assaulted her, and moves in with her mother. And in 1965, she gives birth to her first child, Melissa, who is allegedly the product of her marriage to Woody. So Melissa McCorvey. And after Melissa's birth... Like, many people with postpartum issues, like, poor Norma started really spiraling. She had, like, a pretty bad drinking problem, drug problem. And then not long after that, she started openly identifying as a lesbian, which is not an easy thing to be doing in the late 60s. Uh, Not an easy thing to be doing while actively married to a man. (laughs) Exactly. Her mother, who, as you remember, is Pentecostal and Uh also an alcoholic, does not vibe with the lesbian thing. And starts conspiring to get Melissa, Norma's baby, taken away from her. So Norma goes on a weekend trip with two of her friends. And she leaves her baby, Melissa, with her mother. And when she comes back, her mother has replaced Melissa with a baby doll. Like a fake baby. And like tries tries to like be like, this is your baby. And Norma's like, no. And then she reports, her mother has reported the baby missing to the police. What? And, like, made this whole thing to basically frame Norma for abandoning her baby and going on this, like, weekend away with her girlfriends. And so she wouldn't tell Norma where Melissa was for weeks. And finally, after, like, three months, she finally lets them reunite. And then, not long after that, she wakes Norma up, like, in the middle of her, like, sleeping after a long day of work and, like, gives her papers. It was like, you need to sign these insurance papers right now. And they were actually adoption papers that she got Norma to sign to transfer. Why like, is her mom so crazy? So crazy. What a high-functioning alcoholic. That's a lot of legal I, documents I mean, I'm to obtain. You, those Pentecostal <laughs> alcoholics are a different breed. They, like, have God oh on their side. God. It's just the blood of Christ when you look at it that way. Like... <laughs> I know a couple of those, like, Catholic wine moms that are just like, Francia, I don't need anything better than that. And I'm going to do the work of the Lord. I couldn't even, I remember drinking Franzia when I was, like, 19 and being like, even I can recognize this is a bit gross. I can do better. I can do better than this. Yeah, that's dark. We've all been there. We've all been there. Um, So, you know, after all this craziness plays out with her mother, Norma gets pregnant again and gives birth to another baby, Jennifer who she places for up for adoption. 
Wait, why? Does she not want the baby? She didn't want any of these babies. Like, this is a child at okay. this point. She's, like, still just, like... But was a... she okay with her mom kidnapping her child, basically? I mean, no, because that's so psycho. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. think anybody would be okay with that, but, like, she was strung mm-hmm. out and confused, and, like, uh-huh. her mother was crazy, so... So was it drugs or just alcohol, mostly? Alcohol and drugs, allegedly. Yeah. Um, okay. Or I think maybe self-purportedly, so I, I don't know why you'd lie about that. So, yeah, so she gives another baby up for adoption. And, again, she's still, like, a child. So, in 1969, she's 21, and she gets pregnant again for a third time. And she's just like, I am done. Like, I can't do this. I don't want this. So, she goes back to Dallas. She starts talking to her friends, being like, I can't have this baby. I'm, like, at my wit's end. Like, I'm in a very bad mental place. My mother has simply stolen one of my babies. I've already given one up for adoption. Like, I'm done. I can't deal with this anymore. So, her friends... We're like, you, and this is, again, this is why the whole story is dark, start to finish, and insane. She, her friends tell her that the best course of action is that she should falsely accuse a group of black men of raping <gasps> her, because if what? it's rape, the laws are more open to abortion in Texas. Oh um, my God. And there's like, according Wait, to- she's fully white? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Terrible. What? Yeah. Very dark. Um, so- there's like Wikipedia. It was actually not Wikipedia. It was something else I read. It was saying that there's like dispute over whether Texas had this law actually on the books at the time that said like uh, abortion because of rape was allowed. Like there's some dispute over that, like uh-huh. whether that was actually a thing or not. But either way, like that's what Norman was originally going to do. So she goes to the police with this scheme and basically like it's obviously a lie. It's apparently she's like not good, doesn't sell it. The police don't believe her. Um, but through the like course of her trying to obtain this illegal abortion and lie and incriminate people that were innocent, which is like a deeply fucked up thing to do, obviously, her doctor suggests she talks to this guy, Henry McCluskey, who was an adoption lawyer in Dallas. I cannot wait until the terms Roe and Wade are introduced. I mean, they don't have anything to do with this woman. Like, they're attorney. Like, they're an attorney's name. Like, we'll, I'll get to it in a second. Okay, like, great. Sorry. So she, I feel like every time you introduce a new character, I'm like, this is gonna is be it going to be Ro? It no, be Ro? it's another guy. So Norma <laughs> agrees to meet with this guy McCluskey, this lawyer, and McCorvey then gets referred to these two attorneys, Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington, who were specifically looking for pregnant women seeking abortions. Both women as well. Worth and attorneys. Out. Yep. And so. They, in 1970, they filed suit formally against the district attorney at the time of Texas, Henry Wade, who was born on November 11th. Oh, so he's a district attorney. Ugh, yeah. Scorpio. Scorpio. Ugh, of Bad course. energy. Bad energy. Powerful sign, though. Yep. Will always leave their mark, very obsessed with legacy because they're cancers, really feel things deeply. And yep. a Scorpio, like, they're the Scorpion, so it's like if they get their stinger in something or someone, like, they'll never let go. Yep. Yep, 100%. Box within a box within a box. That's what I always say about Scorpius. No one knows a Scorpio's inner life except that person. I mean, it completely tracks. And Wade was famous because he was the one that prosecuted Jack Ruby. Who Whoa. killed JFK. Yeah. Um, or did he? Or did he? No, no. Jack Ruby killed Lee Harvey oh, Oswald. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Yes. Yes, yes of course. Mm-hmm. So he was already like kind of a hot shot. That's who they... Formally brought the suit against. Roe was one of the prosecuting attorneys. Um, so in June 1970, a Texas district court ruled that the state's abortion ban was illegal because it violated the constitutional right to privacy. And this is like one of the big ones. I think like, I don't know. We'll get to it. But <laughs> I'm really hoping like that right to privacy thing can like be resurrected. Um, so it basically took three years of trials to get to the Supreme Court, which meant that obviously... Norma had the baby. She was yeah. not able to get the abortion that she was seeking. We'll get to it in a minute. Um, and did then she on, give that up for adoption too? She did. Um, so on January twenty second, the crazy thing is that this baby is only like sixty years old. Oh, we'll get to the baby. It's it's oh just my god, all I can't sad. wait. Sorry. Oh no, yeah, don't. Bad I mean, no, no, the baby's fine. It's just like <laughs> the situation is just so sad. Like I, nobody wants this. This is my whole thesis with all of this is just like nobody's like willfully like oh I can't wait for my abortion like trotly da like what a fun time like it's not like a pedicure like this is a terrible decision you have to make with terrible circumstances and it's healthcare and it's like not a fun time and it's horrible that women have to have it be any more difficult than it already is and this poor woman just didn't want to have these children and kept having to have them and it's just sad so yes we go into 
1973 Supreme Court, seven to two decision, strikes down the Texas law banning abortion, which then effectively legalized abortion nationwide. The court divided pregnancy formally into three trimesters, including... Okay, sorry. Before you get into that, I'm just curious, why did the Supreme Court passing Roe v. Wade immediately make it law throughout the nation versus the new decision, which is making it state States. by state? Like, why isn't it a federal It's a very good question. Sorry. No, no. Two the question. So, <laughs> I, I can say that it was like, the decision was based on the fact that it was the 14th Amendment, the right to privacy. Yeah. Yeah. So, because... The, you know, the Constitution is something that governs all of us. Like, sure. under that right to privacy, that's why it was able to be, like, an overarching decision if it was made constitutional in one state's case. Interesting. I know, admittedly, much less about the Dobbs case. I've got yeah. a little bit on it, but, like... I genuinely can't even click through on the article because it's too upsetting. It's too upsetting. And we're really not about that. We're here to talk about Norma. We're here to talk about the past, baby. Yeah. So, basically, the court then formally, in 1973, divides pregnancy into three trimesters. Um, they decide that the choice to end a pregnancy in the first trimester is completely up to the woman. In the second trimester, the government could regulate abortion, although not ban it, in order to protect a mother's health. So, basically, that is, you know, in layman's terms, up to the doctor mm-hmm. and the health of the mother and the baby. In the third trimester, trimester, the state could prohibit abortion to protect a fetus that could survive on its own outside the womb, except when a woman's health is in danger. Which, to me, all sounds very reasonable. <laughs> like, that sounds like, okay, like, maybe there's a little too much regulation for my taste, but, like, I think that those are very, like, scientific, rational arguments for how to lay this process mm-hmm. out. But apparently not. Um, McCorvey, Norma, throughout, like, the original court proceedings, never attended a single trial. Um, and obviously she gave birth, gave the baby up for adoption. She was called by the press Jane Roe, but after, um, she came out and told the press who she was and said that she actually sought an abortion because she was unemployable and very depressed about it. And the baby was going to like further prohibit herself from working, which again, like cyclical issues here. Um, so after she gives birth to this third child, who again, she gives up for adoption, she begins a long-term relationship with this woman, Connie Gonzalez, and they proceed to live together in Dallas for 35 years. Go off, sis. Like, so we're, we're seemingly like that's, she's on a great track. Like, that's great. You're moving on with your life. Oh my God. I just wanted to have some happiness, Rebecca. What is happening? 1983, she like, McCorvey just like can't stay out of the press and says that she was raped and that's why she had the abortion. And then she walks that back five years later and said that the rape claim was untrue. And like throughout the 80s, she remains a pretty outspoken abortion activist. And, um, she, and then in 1994, she publishes this book called I Am Roe. And while she's at a book signing, and she did this book because she oh was God. like running out I'm of money, scared. needed to sell her story, so comes out, I am real. This so is she my... remains a drug addict, like through all of this. I don't know if she was actively still a drug addict, but definitely still like dealing with addiction issues. Um, <sighs> so she's at this book signing, and she gets befriended by this guy whose name, his honest to goodness name is Flip Benham, <laughs> an evangelical minister I made and my the first national, son Flip. like Flip Benham. National director of the anti-abortion oper- uh, organization Operation Rescue, and for some reason, Norma's like Flip, this is it. <laughs> I'm converted. So she converts to evangelical Protestantism. Protestantism. I have seen a lot of stuff about this. This is wild. about how she became anti-abortion at the end. So she gets baptized in 1995 in a swimming pool, and they film it for national television. Two days later, oh she quits her job, and she was formerly formerly working at an abortion clinic. What? Quits her job. <gasps> Joins Operation Rescue's anti-abortion campaign, starts voicing her remorse for the part she plays in the Supreme Court decision, and, like, becomes, like, this active anti-abortion activist. In 1998, she goes a step further and becomes Catholic. It's like evangelical Protestantism wasn't enough. She's like, got to be a Catholic after that. Okay, Catholics are a lot of things, but they're not... You know, they're not going door to door. No, I mean... You'll come to us, and you'll come for the art. But it's still Come for the art, up. stay for well, the Well, you're savior. not going to agree with this, because okay. then after converting to Catholicism, she continues to live with Connie, her long-term partner, yes. but then refers to be like, I'm not a lesbian anymore, I'm just platonically like in wow, a relationship with this person. a complicated woman. Like, gives up Connie, basically, for Wait, Catholicism. Wait, but she gives up Connie, but for they Catholic still live Jesus. together? Yes, but as allegedly a platonic love. And she publishes a second book. So she originally, in 1994, publishes I Am Row. 1998 publishes One by Love, which is about her conversion. And 
all of this like Operation Rescue bullshit. And then in 2004, she starts actively trying to overturn the Supreme Court decision, like campaigning to overturn crazy. it. Like goes on like a campaign, said it harms women, the case is dismissed. She then starts publicly telling people in 2006 that she's not a lesbian. And in 2006, Connie has a stroke and Norma moves out. Does what? not stand by her long-term partner, just simply renounces being gay, leaves Connie after Connie has a stroke, moves out of their house, starts advocating for Ron Paul. Like, this woman just... I, think, I don't know. I used to be Ron Paul. Ugh. You can cut that out. Ugh, no, I we might it, for the sake I of the I thought he pod. had interesting ideas. I this mean, is 2006. Yeah, I guess. Maybe in 2008 we were all a little Ron Paul curious. Sure. But we were, not we anymore. Were she actively campaigned um, and went on anti-abortion demonstrations during Obama's commencement address at Notre Dame. Um, she was arrested during the first day of the U.S. Senate hearings for the confirmation of Supreme Court of Sonia Sotomayor because she was so upset about the... Uh, Liberal justices um, was, like, also caught on camera protesting during Al Franken's statement. Just, like, very politically active for anti-abortion. Um, and then she died in 2017 of heart failure at the age of 69. Oh, sad, but hilarious age to die at. Yep. Yeah. Uh, classic. <laughs> However, in 2020, and I haven't watched this documentary yet, full disclosure, but there is apparently a documentary called Jane Roe that aired on FX that talks about McCorvey and her life. And it said that on her deathbed, they were like filming her for this documentary. And she gives a deathbed confession that they put on camera saying that this whole anti-abortion thing was an act. And she was anti-abortion for pay. And she was like, I was just like in a bad place. What? I did not. And they gave me all this church money. To come out and, like, be outspoken for the anti-abortion cause. That's bananas. And they, she took their money. Wait, is this, like, on YouTube? Can I watch her yes. announce it? The, like, I, so, and she said, she apparently said her quote on her deathbed was, if a young woman wants to have an abortion, that's no skin off my ass. That's why they call it choice. And that was, like, one of the last things this woman fucking says after her complicated ass life. And one of the ministers also comes out and acknowledges that, like, they did pay her for stuff. And that she received at least... $450,000. Okay, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Over how long? Um, For years. Like, this was like decades. Yeah, decades. Yeah. Yep. So, the last, like, sad wrinkle here is that the child that she gave up for adoption, whose name is Shelly Lynn Thornton, um, is a very, is actually, she claims she's neither pro-life nor pro-choice, and she didn't know that she was the Roe fetus until she, until like 1989 when she, like, Saw her mother on the Today Show. Like, so dark. What? Yep. This is crazy. Yep. Yeah. And now here we are in 2022, and Roe vs. Wade has been overturned. And my whole thing, getting to know the story, was that, first of all, you hear about Roe vs. Wade, but I have never once heard the name Norman McCorby or heard about the woman behind all of this. Like, And she was, just like, you know, the Scopes Monkey trial, like, very much just, like, a person that was put forth to, like, let this go to the court. But, like, her story, I think, is so... Much like the Scopes Monkey Trial. Much, much like it. But it's so typical of, like, women seeking abortions. They're impoverished. They've got, like, poor social situations. They've got complicated family situations. This is not just, like, senators paying off their mistresses to get abortions because those people can still get them. Spoiler alert. But, like, it's just... That's really what resonated with me most reading this was, like, this poor woman was just like so many other women that are now stripped of this option, and it's just more complicated and difficult, and it's none of your fucking business, and that's, that's that. That's crazy. So I, so thank you, Rebecca, because I've heard so many times, oh, the person that was responsible, like, Jane Roe was an anti-abortion activist for the rest of her life, like, blah, blah, blah. No. But I yeah, mean, no, they left out. They left the out. The, like they left out the deathbed confession. Crazy. Part. So let's get into Wait. it, gang. So Rebecca regaled us with a tale of a crazy lady, and I have another one as well. Um, we're gonna just dip right into Annie Oakley. And before I begin, I just want to say I was listening to our episode with Gibson on the way to Rebecca's house, and I noticed two things I really want to prioritize as a podcaster is not saying like, not even just that I say like is a filler word. I say like 
as like a part of my vocal pattern and like part of my like yeah cadence. see I'm doing it right now yeah. like as a cadence as a as a sarcasm level so I'm trying to stop because it's it's great. so hard and you it's are so, so annoying so unaware of it until you have to listen to yourself exactly in like brutal. a editing I context. challenge all of you to listen really really to your hard. own podcast I've had uh, not to toot my own horn quite a lengthy career in the audio pursuits <laughs> as, audio as pursuits. one could say almost a decade now and I have never listened to myself until I started editing. And having to edit yourself and like listen for vocal ticks and things like that is just an excruciating yes. exercise. I procrastinated it till the last minute, which is partially the reason why this podcast has been so egregiously delayed this season. But again, we're not content creators. We're just women living our lives, bringing you history Speak facts. Speak for I'm a content creator. So anyway, I'm going to tell you guys about Annie. Annie Oakley without saying like a lot and without saying crazy or insane okay. because I just want to use more adjectives. Yeah. Things are loco. Things yeah. are cuckoo bananas. Cuckoo you know what bananas I mean? is so underrated. Rebecca's taking the caramels from me. They're off the table now and I'm uncomfortable. So I'll just get going with it. Um, so Annie Oakley was born Phoebe and Phoebe and Mosey. Like, just a full fake name. Everything wow. about it was made up. I love a fake name. August 13th, 1860. You know, we see Anna Leo. Leo. We see Anna Leo. It's almost her season. No, it is her season. Is it Leo season? If you're reading this, it's Leo season. Yeah. It's too late. Yeah. It's currently Leo season. Um, so she was born in Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you know about Annie Oakley, Rebecca? Uh, Annie, get your gum. Sure. So that's the Broadway play based on her life. But, like, if you had to describe what Annie Oakley... Who she was, what would you say? Looks like Pippi Longstocking. Okay. In my mind. Couple of silver guns at her hip, a little holster, a little checkered shirt, a little jaunty smile, a little sass. So you're just horseback. seeing her, but what would you say was her job? Uh, just being a fun cowgirl. <laughs> yeah, like I know that, that's symbol. not it at all. So she was a quote unquote sharpshooter. That was her official mm. job title. And she starred in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. So she was an actor? She was, I mean, she was a sharpshooter. She literally used to shoot cigars out of her, lit cigars out of her husband's mouth. That's how good she was at shooting. She was like, I don't even care. I'll she kill didn't you miss right even now. once? Well, we'll get into it. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> building, this episode building, has it all. Building a little bit of suspense here. So, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, we'll talk about it later, but it is widely credited for the myth of the American West, the way that we see it today. Cowboys, cow gals. Cow gals. Love it. Sharp shooting, stuff like that. You know, saloons. Sure. Horses. Horse. Hanging. Horse. Anything you associate with. The old West or the first season of Westworld is oh, R.I.P. Westworld. R.I.P. Really Westworld. went down. I only now. watched the first three episodes, and it really. Of this season, I haven't watched it. No, 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 not even this season of the first season. I was just oh. deeply uninto it. Oh, it was bad. But so basically, Annie Oakley was born. Her name was Phoebe Ann. Phoebe. Phoebe Ann. Um, in a log cabin less than two miles west of um, Woodland in Ohio. Okay, it was Laura Ingalls. Very, very rural county. Basically right next to Indiana um, and she's a her birthplace is about five miles east of North Star uh -huh. um, and basically she was born to Quakers shout out to Quakers oh, shout out to Quakers um, so they came to Pennsylvania got married and they had nine kids together their names were Susan and Jacob um, they had nine kids seven of which survived adulthood Wow. Survived childhood. Good odds. And they rented a farm that they later purchased. So this is just a very normal homesteading type of family. Very American story, especially around this time, mid like right before the Civil War. So Annie's born in 1860. She's six of the nine. And her surviving siblings were, you know, just people. <laughs> and then um, They're not important. Yeah, they're not important. Lost to history. But her father fought in the War of 1812. 12 and oh, he was ever heard of it guess how old he was when she was born 16 
61. Oh my god, reverse it. Reverse it. 61 years old at the time of Annie's birth, and he became an invalid from hypothermia wow, that's five years my later. that's my dad energy. And then he died. Yeah, he died of pneumonia when she was six years old, when he was 66. Um, wow. So her mother remarried. They had another daughter, and then the guy that her mother married died again. So Wow, bad luck. Extreme was she a black poverty. Widow, perhaps? Seven kids. Um, and because of the poverty following her, fa- her father's death, she never regularly attended school. Wow. Um, she attended it later on in her life, like when they kind of got their feet on the ground more, she started going, but it was kind of too late. Like she learned to read, but not much else. So at age nine, she was admitted to the Dark County Infirmary with her sister. I'm sorry, that sounds like something out of a Marvel Dark cinematic. D-A-R-K-E. Um, Again, that also sounds like something. So she wrote an autobiography, which is why so much of this doesn't really add up. She she had Oakley did yes, and she kind of had a very interesting way of looking back on her childhood. Like, so stuff just doesn't add up when biographers have actually called. Get your gun. I don't know. Probably get your gun. Um, So basically, she was put in the care of the infirmary superintendent um, because her parents were basically didn't want to deal with her anymore. And they taught her to sew and decorate. And beginning in the spring of 1870, she was bound out, which is kind of like an indentured servant deal, to help care for the infant son of a local family. And they false promised her 50 cents per week, which is about $11 a week in 2021, um, and said that she would get an education. So the couple had originally wanted someone who could pump water, cook, and who was bigger. But she was basically in legit slavery to them. She spent two years with them, and they were crazy abusive. There I did. I said crazy. They were cuckoo bananas abusive. Mentally, physically. One time the wife put Annie out into the freezing cold without shoes because she'd fallen asleep during, like, some... She just fell asleep. And she, in her autobiography, she referred to them as just the wolves. So she never revealed their names, but there's a lot of different, like, theories among historians about who oh they actually God. are. Chime in if you've got intel. No, Well, a lot of people think that they're the Boose family of Preble County. Oh, shout out to shout the Boose out family to the if you're listening. Fuck you. So around spring 1872, she, so this is, she's 12 years old. She runs away from the wolves, and it was only at this point that she met the Eddingtons, um who were kind of just a nice family, and then she returned to her mother's home when she was about 15. So she began she began trapping, like, you know, Katniss-style, random traps, maybe a bow and arrow in, in sure. your mind. Basically Katniss, the first yeah. 30 minutes of the Hunger Games, that was yep. her life. She started doing that at the age of seven because of to support her family because uh, like they were Katniss, starving, yeah. and her widowed mother, and they sold the hunted game to locals in Greenville, a uh, bunch of shopkeepers knew who she was, and they shipped it to a hotel in Cincinnati and other cities. Like, this is like what she trapped. This is literally the literally the first quarter the of the Hunger Games. Like, that was Peter Hunger Malark's family. Yes, and she also sold games to restaurants and hotels in northern Ohio. Her skill paid off the mortgage on her mother's farm by the time Annie was 15. Wow. And that was with two years of slavery Ball so inserted. Hard. She was yeah. falling very hard at a young age. I mean, that makes me feel real embarrassed about my accomplishments. I know. So she soon became well-known throughout the region just for being a badass, for being a really good shooter. And on Thanksgiving Day in 1975, so again, she's 16, there's a shooting act being performed in Cincinnati. And um, Frank E. Butler, a former former dog trainer, Irish immigrant, placed a bet of $100... Uh, with the Cincinnati hotel owner Jack Frost, that Butler could beat any local fancy shooter. The hotelier arranged a shooting between but- Butler and the 15-year-old Annie, saying Holy the shit. last opponent Butler expected was a five-foot-tall 15-year-old girl named Annie. Hell yeah! After missing on his 25th shot, Butler lost the match and the bet. Wow! So suck it. Well, wait for it, because then they begin courting. No. Then they get married. No. No. They were in love. No. They went on tour together. She just like she was obsessed with him. Topped him in public. Yes, and, and he, then and he loved him. it. He went crazy for her. And follow up, they did not have children. So again, I don't know that she had an abortion. I'm just saying it seemed possible okay. based on the information we've been presented. Okay. Definitely. Because these are two Young, sexy people at the height of their sexual power. So I believe that they And they were just having, like, come. shootout competitions. Yeah. But he was so turned on by how good she was at shooting. You know what I mean? It was crazy. I do know what you mean. <laughs> so 
they get in this crazy shooting match. It's very erotic. She very erotic. Him, and then they get married a year afterward. I mean, make that Mr. and Mrs. Smith version. Like, I I'd know. watch that. Where's the biopic? Um, so basically, there's some contradictory debates about if Butler was divorced from his first wife at the time. So they, there, there might have been some overlap, ultimately. So the public was often led to believe throughout their show business career that she was five to six years younger than she actually was. Classic. Ew. So yeah, that's weird. Um, that's showbiz. That's showbiz, baby. What she's, so we're moving on now to her career in touring. A quote attributed to her, she said, aim at the high mark and you will hit it. No, not the first time, not the second time, and maybe not the third. But keep on aiming and keep on shooting, for only wow. practice will make you perfect. Finally, you'll hit the bullseye of success. Oh my god, motivational speaker. I know, well, she became a motivational speaker. Where's her TED Talk? Well, we'll, we'll get into it. But so basically, her and Frank, her lover from the shootout, sure. they live in Cincinnati for a while. That's she adopts her stage name, Annie Oakley, and they begin performing together. And it's basically taken from the city's... There's this neighborhood in where they lived in Cincinnati called Oakley. Okay. So I guess they lived there. So people think she took that name because it was the name of the man... Um, because of where she resided. Other people say it was because it's the name of the man who paid her train fare when she was a child. Oh, wow. Just a random guy that was like, here's a nickel, sweetheart. Yeah, but that, none of it's true. But a- anyway. She seems like she just sort of lied. Exactly. Lot, Big which liar, I which I love. And she jo- they joined Buffalo Bill's Wild West Circus, which, as I said, sure, was a very big deal that established the American West in 1885. So Annie would have been 25. She was five wow. feet tall. Wow. Um, and she was given the nickname of Watanaya Cecilia by oh. fellow performer, wait for it, Sitting Bull. Oh. They had, like, co-opted Sitting Bull, the Indian chief. The American real Sitting Indian Bull? Chief, yeah, the real Sitting okay, Bull. I think we've got to say Native American. The Native American indigenous chief. Indigenous person. The indigenous chief, Sitting Bull, edit this how you will, um, was on tour. He kind of sold out and started touring with Buffalo Bill as, like, an authentic chief that people wanted to see. And he, he gave her a nickname meaning Little Pure Shot. Um, and during her first engagement, she had a rivalry with a fellow sharpshooter named Lillian Smith. Ever heard of it? Because I haven't. Because she didn't make it. <laughs> she didn't join the show. Um, but she was 10 years younger than Annie, which is part of the reason why oh. Annie, you know, altered Best her actual her. age. And she... I bet Annie smoked that child. Well, she, yeah, and she ends up going to the Paris Expo- Expo- Exposition of 1889. Ever heard of it. Ever heard Have of it. Have we got an idea on that? Oh, I um, guess it's We really should, but that's where they invented the ice cream cone. We should do the Chicago Fair. We should We should totally do Devil in the White City, baby. Um, I've read it. So anyway, she earned more than any other performer in the show, except for Buffalo Bill himself, but she performed for Queen Victoria... King Umberto of Italy, basically all these kings and head of states. Wow. Um, Kaiser Wilhelm II, oh, ever heard of wow. him, who started World these War One? These are some I. big A-list names. Well, she supposedly shot the ashes off of a cigarette that he was For smoking. Kaiser. That's the Kaiser most Wilhelm. erotic thing I've ever seen. Frank <laughs> yes, right after he got newly Jade his piece. crowned. And sh- it was at his request. Wilhelm was like, do it. Wow. I bet Wilhelm liked that. That's so crazy. So basically, she is into that. They kind of settled down in New Jersey, Nutley, New Jersey, after they kind of stopped touring. And Oakley promoted the service of women in combat a- operations for the armed forces. Yeah. So she writes a letter to President William McKinley saying, um, you know, I want lady sharpshooters to join this war. This was like the Spanish-American War, I assume. And they'll provide their own ammunitions. Oh, this is the Spanish-American War. But nobody accepted her offer she just wanted to fight as a lady and in 1901 oakley was badly injured in a train accident but she recovered after I'm sorry t- what do you mean a train accident like, we don't know that's all we know just run over inside of the train a scuffle no she was i mean she was just badly injured so i don't think she got run over by the train it's a train accident, Rebecca. Listen, I don't know much about train accidents. That seems okay. Dramatic. Well, she was badly okay. injured in a train accident. Very the lead. Fine. I think that it was kind of it was nice. You know what? I think in my everyone had been injured in, by yeah, a train exactly. in, in 1901. my mind. It just got a little bit derailed, and they ran into something, sure. and she kind of just got jostled, jostled into yeah. into temporary paralysis with oh, fa- oh. 
Blair, so she gets temporary paralysis and five spinal operations. Blair, that's not nothing. That's getting run over by a train. Okay, well, we don't know what happened. I'm just saying she was not well from it. DM and us if you think that Blair's downplaying <laughs> Annie Oakley's pain. <laughs> so Cancel she, Blair. So she leaves the Buffalo Bill show to have a less taxing career um, in a stage play written especially for her, The Western Girl. So kind of this is pre-Annie wow. Gets Her Gun. She had her own little Multiple play plays. written for her. And she had to outsmart a group of outlaws in the play. Of course. And so over the course of her career, this is where it gets good, it's believed that Oakley taught more than 15,000 women how to use a gun. Wow. Um, and she believed it was crucial for women to learn how to use a gun, not only as a form of physical and mental exercise, but also to defend themselves. She said, I would like to see every woman know how to handle guns as naturally as they know how to handle babies. Oh, gross. Yeah, we don't love that quote looking back on it, but just just to give her a couple of shouts, um, a couple of shout outs of just how good she was at at shooting. Shooting. She at 30 paces she could split a playing card held edge on. So if you were if you were like showing her the flat part from 30 feet away, she could shoot through it. I'm sorry, that's some Lego lash. Shit. Yeah, no. She hit dimes that people tossed in the air from 30 paces. She shot, oh yeah, so her husband would go by on Frank? horseback. Call him by his name. Frank Butler would ride over on a horse with a cigarette or a cigar in his mouth. Just like Kaiser Wilhelm. On Wilhelm's. horse, but just like Kaiser Wilhelm, but he was on a moving horse. That's so sad. Kaiser Wilhelm was not, and she would shoot it off. I am like very anti-gun, and this is the hottest shit I've ever well, heard. Well, think of how hot it is that he, she just shot the, sh- the smoking part of the yeah, cigarette off. Yeah, that's hot. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, playing card being thrown into the air, you know, basically That's nothing compared to the Kaiser Wilhelm cigarette move. Well, she snuffed out a flame with the whizzing <laughs> of a bullet before. Stop. She knocks corks off of the bottles and slices. Okay. Yeah, no, there's a lot going on. Is this on. getting sexy? Could she shoot things out of her? Um, just to give you guys a quick side note about Sitting Bull, they were just really good friends. <laughs> and, um... Nothing sexy, just platonic friendship? Uh, just platonic fl- friendship, but Sitting Bull felt Annie must be gifted by supernatural means in order to shoot so accurately with both hands. Yeah. And he symbolically adopted Oakley as his daughter. Oh. In 1884, calling her a little sure shot, a title that Oakley went through to use her entire career. Wow. Quick note about a libel cases. In 1904, um, William Randolph Hearst magazine, classic, he was like, Annie Oakley got arrested for cocaine use. She can't even shoot anymore. She has a cocaine habit. But it was actually just a burlesque dancer saying her name was Annie Oakley. And Annie Oakley spent the rest of her life suing William Randolph first, trying to get restitution. And she spent more on lawyers than she did in restitution. Wow. And she got like $300,000 back, but she was like, I don't even care. I'm this mad. I feel like Annie and Patty are cut from the same cloth. Uh Uh-huh. I really think that too. So basically, in they build so the Butlers build a little brick bungalow in Cambridge, Maryland. Sure. Um, and then they move. So they were kind of settled down for a while, and then they were just like, "No, we want to go back to public life. We go wow. back to North Carolina. We love the spotlight." She continues to send records into her sixties, classic Leo, and also engaged in extensive philanthropy for women's rights and other causes, including yes. the support of young women she knew. Yes. She embarked on a comeback and intended to star in a feature-length silent film. Come on. She had 100 clay targets in a row at the age of 62 in a 1922 shooting. Are you shooting kidding? No, she's, she's bananas. She's going for it. So Could in 1922, they get in another accident, the butlers. They're in a car accident. She's forced to wear a steel brace on her right leg. Annie? Annie is, but she... <sighs> She's still performing still again. She's, she's she can't still keep a good girl down. She's like in her seventies, but then her, you know, her health declines. She dies of uh, pernicious oh, anemia in nineteen twenty-five. She's sixty-six. Sorry, but she, I mean, she she burned out, not faded away. You know what I mean? Ugh, and she's out. in her body's in Ohio. <laughs> if any of you wow. are in Ohio and want to visit, wow. Um, and so again, one of the greatest love stories you've ever heard. Butler is so sad. About this death, that he stopped eating. No He's book. just straight up no stopped book. eating. He died. died 18 days later. Stop. That's love. Chills. That's love. From the first shootout to the last <laughs> breath. Oh my god. 
where is the Hollywood saga? He's buried next to her ashes. I know. I Should mean, we start a Manifest Destiny production company where we really just, like, do should. amazing romances? But he just... I have chills. I, can you imagine someone stopped eating when like, you die? if you're not going to die for me 18 days after I die, I don't well, want Well, and then he dies 18 days later, and then they interred their ashes together, mixed them all up, and put them in the ground Thanksgiving Day. Steven, if you're listening... <laughs> Or, me, or even this. if you aren't. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, that's everything cool about her, but she's the wow, best. that was a lot of cool shit. I know. And I mean, I, I feel like it really did pair with Norma in some weird, like, brassy... You're going for the caramels again, man. I heard not can good. hear this sound of shame. Uh-oh, there's only one left. Oh, no, that's you. I ate all your caramels. No. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Oops, that's Blair's compensation. That? That's uh, called the green room. Perks, amenities. This isn't my contract. Rider. <laughs> yeah, Costco no. caramels. I need the caramels. Oh. Uh, wow, guys. We are so glad to be back. I don't know when we're going to be back again. No, we're going to be back again. We're back Next week, the week after. Guys, I can't stress this enough. This I'm homeless. Your, yeah. I'm unemployed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're doing the best we can. We're but doing the best I can't can. 100% ensure a seven-day turnaround with this right now but just take it as a just take it as a little mid-season hiatus and we'll be back as soon as we can we're doing what we can for you with you Mm -hmm. if you want to come on this podcast (laughs) and do this job for us can't stress it enough can't stress it enough we will be there to provide commentary and support Mm -hmm. via zoom Mm -hmm. we might even send you a little drink or something like Ooh. The Drizzly is making... We're not sponsored by Drizzly, but we could be. <laughs> Drizzly. We certainly could be. We certainly could be. Drizzly, hit us up. Uh, but we, you know, we can make this lucrative for everybody. So if you want to come on this podcast, again, I cannot reiterate this enough. Hit us up. Call us. Email us. Yeah, page reach us, out. At facts, Manifest Destiny Pod. At Manifest Destiny Pod. Blair, want to send us out? Bye! Looking for more Manifest Destiny? Don't worry, we have a website. You can visit us at www.manifestdestinypodcast.com or connect with us over on Instagram at manifestdestinypod. Big fan of the show? Go ahead and leave us a little review on your podcast platform of choice. It would mean the world to us and allow us to keep doing whatever it is we're doing here. And as always, a hearty thank you to our beloved manifestors for listening to Manifest Destiny, a millennial take on the American millennium.